have your Bibles, please um, turn with me to Hebrews, the book of Hebrews in chapter 10. Hebrews in chapter 10. Hebrews in chapter 10. It's probably been a while since we've been in it. You've been in it personally, but here's an opportunity. Even though we're not going to be able to go through the book, there is um, one place where I believe is helpful for us as we're exploring this, this subject of ours. We, we started a new series last week called Why Church Matters. And for the next number of weeks, we're going to have an opportunity to, to walk together through the scriptures in order to appreciate God's church, just exactly what the church is and what God's purpose is behind the church. If you were with us last week or perhaps not, we had a chance to begin this, this sort of conversation. And that was, I opened up my message last week with a question. And that was, how exactly is it that you walk into church? In order for us to be able to appreciate the church, we've got to be sure that we understand how the church stands uniquely in contrast from any other gathering in our society. There's a whole lot of reasons that people get together. Amen? It's happening all week long. And so what we have to keep in mind, though, unless we're careful and we allow ourselves to be governed by the Scriptures, it's very easy to walk into the church the same way we basically walk into any other social venue. And so if I'm going to answer that question right, I've got to first realize that I can't be walking into the church the same way I walk into AT&T Stadium to root for the Cowboys, as wonderful as that is. I can't walk into the church for the same reasons I may show up at Vegas yesterday in order to watch a UFC match that everybody's looking forward to, as wonderful as that may be. I can't walk into the church the same way I walk into AMC Theater in order to watch a movie, in order to be entertained by. I can't walk into the church the same way I go to shopping centers or, or malls or plazas. Because even though people may be gathering for something there, it has nothing to do with why we gather here for these purposes. And so if you can already know that there's a big difference between this and that, you're already far along. And so... What I want it, wanted all of us to appreciate last week was this. Not only how we're to walk into the church in terms of how this is different from any other venue, but to also make sure that we understand that the way that we walk into the church is by praying. I walk into the church by praying where to sit. Some of y'all walked in 30 minutes ago. Some of y'all walked in 50 minutes ago. Some of y'all walked in longer than that because you had to practice or get something ready. Some of you just walked in. But my question for you is this. How did you walk in to the church? How do you walk into the church anytime you walk in? What I mean by that is this. When I begin to answer that question by, by saying I walk into the church by praying where to, this, where to sit, I'm saying this. I'm communicating this. That my relationship with God matters. The moment I start praying about the church that I'm going to and praying about 
The fact that I'm about to walk in and I want to know where to sit and I'm praying to God about all of that, I'm communicating that God is God and no one else is. And that He is Lord. And that He is Lord not just of all, but even myself, including this church. And therefore, if I'm going to appreciate the church and understand what the church is at all, I've got to first understand he's got the answer before anybody else does. And that whatever my preferences or my desires or my thoughts or opinions about what the church ought to be, maybe it comes as a very distant second to God's idea of the church. His ideas and his wishes for the church trumps mine and everyone else's. That's why the only way we can truly answer the question is by making sure that the scriptures are what are governing our perspective and our belief on the church. This is important. But additionally, praying about where to sit doesn't only communicate about my orientation, my heart posture, my frame of mind, my attitude in relationship to God, how I see him, how I view him, it also communicates my posture toward you as a fellow member of the church that I'm walking into. What it does is it primes my heart and my mind toward making sure that I don't make the church solely about me, but I recognize it's also about others. Praying does that. By praying about where to sit, I'm recognizing and recommunicating to myself that church is less about what I get out of it, and it's more about how available I can make myself to God in order to serve others. And so rather than the old mantra, what has this church done for me lately, it should be more so, how can I serve others? How can I be available to others? You see, this is a foreign concept before I became a Christian. And even as you become a Christian, it doesn't necessarily mean you get this. There's a lot of people who, even though they may have committed their life to Christ, they, they still bring old ways into the church. In other words, they bring their approach to any other venue to the church. And so we need to actually be discipled into this way. And that's what God is showing us. When I start praying about where to sit, I'm saying, I want to be available, God. I want to be used by you, God. I recognize that there are going to be people for which their life is a life and death situation. And part of the way that you reach people, part of the way that you serve people, part of the way that you encourage people is through means. You use people to bless people, to serve people. And so if I come into the church just any old way, I don't put myself in an advantageous position to be used by God. Even the seat that I'm looking at, I have me in mind. Even the people that I'm trying to sit by, I still have me in mind. But the moment I could get out of my own skin and my own self and my own preferences and start thinking about, wait a second, there are people here that need to be served. There's someone here that needs to be spoken to. Better yet, there's someone here that needs to be listened to. There's going to be someone here who needs to be prayed for. So I need to make sure I walk into this church a certain way. Otherwise, what ends up happening, we walk in, we just sit wherever, 
We get up when they tell us to get up. We sit down when they tell us to sit up, sit down. We open our Bible. We sing a few songs. We clap a couple of hands, and we're out of here. And we just got this superficial relationship, not only to God, but to the church. And so we miss what God is up to through his church. But I don't want us to miss what God is up to because God's at work. But in order for us to participate in that work, we've got to walk into this place the same way God would walk into this place. I'm just imagining what it would have been like for Jesus to walk into church or to, or to synagogue. He walked in praying about where to be, in tune with his Father. And I'm telling you this, the more every one of us walks into the church this way, the more likely there's going to be a single, there's going to be people in our lives, in our community, who are going to be reached. You see, no matter who you are, we want to be the kind of church where anyone who comes through this church is going to be reached with the good news of the gospel. But that can't happen with just a few or with one. This church has got to be organic. It's a living entity. Peter calls y'all and me living stones. And so those two things have to be realities in our life. I hope you did it today. But even if you didn't, you got next week. In fact, you don't even have to wait for a Sunday to begin to pray. Throughout the week, we should be praying for those faces, those names that represent Pathway. As we're driving to school, as we're driving to work, as we're going about our way, we should have each other's faces in our minds. And we should be thinking about yeah, I had that conversation on Sunday. I wonder how it's been. I wonder if I'm going to hear any change or anything different come next Sunday. In fact, I wonder if God would even lead me to pick up the phone and give this person a call or a text. You see, as soon as we start tuning our heart with God's heart, we start being ready to be used by him, and we become increasingly sensitive to people. And you know what people begin to witness? Now, this is church where I not only know, I'm known. Now, this is church, where I'm not just some numberless figure who sits in a seat, hears something, and I'm out of here, where nobody's involved in my life. No, this is a place where people are making it a point to be sensitive to the Lord, to be involved in each other's life, because they recognize that God does bring change about in people's lives, but a lot of the time he uses people to bring that change about. And if I'm not tuned with him, how can he use me? So then the question for today that I have for you and for me is this. What is the church? Just what is the church? But I believe in order for us to be able to answer that question, we've got to understand first and foremost, what's God's purpose for the church? And for that to be answered, we need to look at Hebrews chapter 10. And I would like to look at Hebrews chapter 10 together with you, beginning at verse 19. The writer of Hebrews there says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed 
with pure water. Hebrews is, is a powerful book. It's, a, it's an amazing book. We don't know the writer of Hebrews, but what we do know is to whom this letter was written. The title lends itself, Hebrews. These, were, these are Christians, no doubt, but these were Hebrews or Jews before they were Christians. And they've had a chance to come to know of Christ and of the gospel, and they've believed upon him. And as a result of that, they're Jewish Christians. And the whole letter of Hebrews is written because of the persecution that has arisen among these Hebrew Christians. You could imagine before Jesus came into the picture, their previous lives were surrounded by Old Testament sacrifices, temples, and the priesthood, and ceremonial laws, and cleansing practices. But all that they learned through the gospel was done away with because of Jesus and what he accomplished. And so they believed that message, and as a result of that, they committed their lives to Jesus, and they began their journey with him. But the problem was, not everyone among them trusted in Jesus like them. Others remained right where they were, and they rejected this Jesus and preferred what they had instead. Additionally, they began to persecute those among them who went forward with Christ. And so this group of believers are under heat. They're under pressure, and they're experiencing unimaginable unimaginable persecution for having begun to follow Christ. And now, many of them among this group are beginning to be tempted and inclined to want to return to their old ways, just so that the persecution may let up. And the writer, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writing to these Jewish Christians, discourages them from that option. And says, no, 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 no. And what he points out all throughout Hebrews is this, that everything that we see in the Old Testament is nothing but a type and a shadow that ultimately is fulfilled in the substance, which is Christ. If you think you like the the Old Testament, laws and priesthood and sacrifices and system, Jesus is better. And so the whole case, the argument that the writer of Hebrews is making is Jesus is better than anything you think you got in the Old Testament. That in fact, if you, if you can truly understand what the Old Testament is teaching, it's pointing you to Christ, but Christ is here. And so he calls them to lay hold of Christ, to hold on to him firmly. And so here he brings them to this place in Hebrews chapter 10, where he tells them, look, there's nothing that we can do because what they're thinking is they're going to lose out on the presence of God. They fear if we listen to you and go this Jesus way, we're not going to get near to God. We're not going to know God like we have. We're not going to enjoy his presence. And what he's saying to them is, look, nothing that you're doing and engaging in is drawing you any nearer to God through your practices. He says, there's nothing that you and I can do that could bring us near to God or that could bring us into the presence of God. So then what is? He says it right there in verse 19. Since we have confidence 
to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. So what the writer is saying is this. The only way that I could enter into the presence of God and draw near to God is through Jesus Christ. I know we don't relate to the Jews of previous times. It's like, I don't get animal sacrifices. I don't get blood all over the place. I don't get priests with beards and gowns and robes. I don't see how you can cleanse yourself that many times a week. I don't understand how that has anything to do with anything. I understand. But that was their stumbling block. They trusted in that. Their confidence rested in their practices. And God was saying, that's a faulty confidence. You know, we're the same. We can be just as prone as them to trust in false confidences that give us the impression that we're nearer to God than we were before. And the writer of Hebrews says, Nothing but the blood of Jesus is capable of ushering you and me into the presence of God. But what do we do in our generation? We may we think songs do it. We think a certain celebrity does it. We think our pastor does it. We think a priest has to come in here and do it. We think a building, a certain kind of a venue or a space will do it. I love what we do with our ambiance and so forth. We think if we turn down the lights, I'm a little bit closer to God than when the lights are on. We can run the risk, even ourselves. We look at the Jews and we see their stumbling blocks. But even us, we can run the risk of trusting in certain things that may be good. They were good. Everything that they were doing was given by God. That was given by God, so it wasn't bad. It was the kind of confidence that they placed in it in the same way. Why do I fear this? Because I believe this is what communicates to why people are up and down in their spiritual life. We base so much of our security and our assurance and our confidence in God and in the presence of God on our feelings, on our emotions, or on something that we can attach ourselves to. And God says, isn't my son's blood enough? Isn't, isn't it enough that he, he tore the curtain, that he himself through his flesh has given you access into the very presence of God? And our answer should be, yes, it is. And when it is, guess what? It doesn't matter when our circumstances or our weeks or our relationships are up and down. Because we're basing our relationship with God and our access to God on something that God told us to, our walk with God doesn't waver. Because the blood is true no matter whether it's the kind of week I wanted or the kind of week I didn't anticipate. It's true. I'm called upon to believe in something that actually happened. Jesus' blood is what has drawn me near. There's other of us who maybe we look at a week and we say, I'm just not going to sin as much this week as I've done in previous weeks. And so we feel good come Saturday and then Sunday's around. I feel like I'm going to go to church. In fact, I'm going to sing when they say sing. 
and I'm going to say amen. I'm going to participate. I'm going to sit more toward the front. I just feel good with, about myself and how things are going. Even there, as, as, as wonderful as it is that God has blessed us with that kind of week, God doesn't even want me to rest on that. Because what happens if I have a different kind of week? Are you any less loved by God? Are you any less known by God? No. There's nothing that you can do by way of good that could make God love you more. And there's nothing you could do by making mistakes this week that could make God love you less. But you'll never know that in truth where it really matters unless you're basing your relationship with him. Not on a song that moves you, but on the blood of Jesus Christ. Not on preaching that stirs you, but on the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ. And here he points this out. The way you and I can stand right now before God, we're standing before him right now, is because of the blood of Christ. But here's the thing. God didn't save you and me to stand alone. When God saves us, no doubt, he saves us individually. He saves us in order to redeem us so that he might gather us. A lot of times people can easily reduce their Christian life to committing themselves to Christ, but that's about it. What church are you a part of? What gathering are you a part of? You see, remember the question, what is the church? What's God's purpose behind the church? In saving me, yes, but why does he save us? So that he might gather us. God's ultimate end in saving us is to gather us. The word church, we often say, church ain't a building. It's, a, it's people. And that's right. The word church means ekklesia. It comes from the Greek word ekklesia, which means gathering or assembly. Gathering or assembly. And that's what we are, a, a people who have trusted in Jesus Christ, who've committed their lives to him. They've crossed from death to life. God gathers them. There's no Lone Ranger Christians. There's nobody who can just follow Jesus, me and Jesus, on our own with my AirPods and whatever I stream, whatever I listen to. So-and-so is my pastor. He's in Boston. You're in Seattle. How can that be your pastor? Oh, that's my church. You're in Arizona. That's in Michigan, right? No, no, no. God saved us so that we can be a part of a people. He's creating a people, a gathering through his blood, which we're going to look at. And he brings us together in order to display what he wants to display, and we see that right here. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. That when God gathers us and he makes us a people, he does so so that we might be able to mirror, this is my, my, my biggest point I want you to get, so that we might be able to mirror what's happening in heaven. There's a church here, but there's also a church up there. There's an earthly church, and there's a heavenly church. Turn one chapter to Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, verse 18. Hebrews 12, verse 18. The writer again says, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire. He's talking about the Old Testament. This is what the Old Testament people of God had to experience, not me and you. For you, pathway, or whoever, whatever church, have not come on this earth to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, 
and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg. Imagine that, that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. You see that heavenly Jerusalem? That's the heavenly church. Verse 23, and to the assembly, there goes the word, of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So here he says, look, here you are, New Testament church. Here they are, Old Testament people of God, community of faith. But there's something drastically different from what you're experiencing and what they had. In their case, yes, they had God to look forward to. But the problem was they couldn't get near to him. He was too fearsome. He was something to dread. They did everything they could to keep a distance from him. In fact, they told Moses, look, don't send any one of us. You yourself go. The thought of God, the thought of even drawing near to God didn't bring joy and delight and confidence like we read about in Hebrews 10. It brought fear and dread and a shrinking back. Why? Because there was always something that stood in between them and this all-holy God. And what was that? Their sin, their guilt, their shame, and everything else that communicated to them, that spoke to them. Remember, the blood of Christ speaks better things than the blood of Abel. So their life and everything they knew about their life was speaking to them, but it wasn't a better thing. And everything that it was saying was not encouraging them to draw near to God. It was discouraging them to draw near to God. But with us, Jesus' blood speaks better things than the blood of Jesus, than the blood of Abel. How so? Because I get the chance to draw near to God. And even when I see flaws and brokenness and mess and just stuff that still needs to be improved, still needs to be changed, it never, in no wise, if I'm in Christ, discourages me from God. Why? Because the basis of the relationship in the first place is the blood of Christ. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things passed away. Everything I sh that should have brought fear, everything about my life that should have brought dread, everything about my life that should have communicated, I'm going to discourage you. I wouldn't do that, is passed away, and the new has come. There is now, therefore, Romans 8.1, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. They didn't have that message. They didn't have a better word. And so the, just the thought of who they were was enough to keep them away from God. But you, child of God, you, church, we have the opportunity to be able to draw near to God because of the blood of Jesus Christ and represent what's happening in heaven. So then what exactly is happening in heaven? And wait a second. We're here. We're on the earth. As a church, why should we even bother with what's going on in heaven? 
as a church because what's going on in heaven is supposed to be mirrored by what should be happening here on this earth. What is going on in heaven? Well, when you look in heaven, as we see, God's at the center. God's being worshipped. It's all about him. He's in the midst of them. What does Jesus say in Matthew 18 should be the case on the earth? Wherever two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst of them. John tells us in Revelation that Jesus walks among the candlesticks. The candlesticks are the churches. Did you know Jesus is walking right now in our midst? He's walking in our midst. God's in our midst. Emmanuel, God with us. What else is going on in this heavenly Jerusalem or this heavenly church? There's a gathering. There's a gathered people. How did they get in? The same way you and I get in. At what cost did it come for you and I to be able to be in the presence and the company of God? The blood of Jesus Christ. Acts 20 and 28 says that it's by the blood of Jesus Christ that he purchased the church. Christ purchased his church with his own blood. The reason why you and I have a right at all to be in God's house, to be among God's people, to be gathered together with the saints is because of the blood of Christ. It's not my, my dad. It's not my grandpa. It's not who helped build the church. It's not, a, it's not a relative who's a deacon. It's not a relative who's on the committee. No, it's not me. It's not my track record. It's not what I got going for myself outside of the church. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. What else is happening up there in the heavenly Jerusalem? God speaking his word. Christ is nourishing that gathering of people with his word. Colossians 3 and 16 says, let the word of Christ, church, dwell in you, huh, richly, richly. Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture and to the preaching of God's word, 1 Timothy 4. Why? Because my people need to get fed. They need to get nourished. We sing the word, we pray the word, we hear the word, we preach the word. Why? Because that's how we're not only born again, but that's also how we're brought up in the faith. You see, you and I have a privilege of being a part of something that's going on even among the throne room of God. So when God saved you and me, he didn't save us so that we can be this little isolated individual doing my thing. He saved me so that I could be a part of a community. So I could be gathered together with his people, doing life together, worshiping this God, hearing from his word, and living for him. Why is this important? Because this is why church matters. Because it matters to God. It matters to him as to how his church looks in heaven, and it matters to him with how his church looks here on this earth. And my prayer is that as we're going forward, you and I are going to value this church in ways that nothing else in our life comes anywhere close to. And you're going to have God's heart toward his bride. Because you know what? You are that bride. 
I'm talking about you and me. It is right. The church isn't a building. It's people. But we're a gathered people. We're a gathered people. And so I want you to pray together with me that this will not only be true about us, but that even others who maybe they got Jesus. I remember the book I read. They love Jesus, but not the church. That can't work. That can't work. If you love Jesus, you've got to love the church. That book doesn't work in my estimation. If we love Jesus, we've got to love the church. And my prayer is that we would be there if we're not already. God can do this. No matter where your heart is in relationship to the maybe maybe it takes a little bit more to trust stepping out and saying, I got the vertical thing. I just don't got this horizontal thing. But God's prepared to be with you to get that horizontal thing. Because he loves his church. And if he loves this church, I want to have the same heart toward his church the way he does. Amen? Let's stand together if we could and pray together. I actually would like to pray together with you that this would be something that represents all of us. Father, we want to come before you, not in and of our own strength or our own merit, but recognizing that it's the blood of Jesus Christ that grants us access into your presence. We thank you, Lord God, that we stand not alone, but with a vast company of forgiven sinners who together with us are able to gather with the heavenly hosts who are worshiping you. God, I pray, lift up our sights. Help us to to see as you see your church, to value your church as you do. Forgive me. Forgive us for where we've erred, for where we've fallen short of viewing and relating to your church the way we should. It's so tempting to just relate to churches for what I can get out of it when that shouldn't be the case. Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. I want to have that heart posture. I want all of us to be at that place where we're prepared to say, I can't wait to be with God's people. I can't wait to assemble together with them so that I can worship God, hear from God, know God, grow in God. And that can't happen as I'm isolated and cut off and on my own. And so, Lord, I pray, you're the the shepherd who leaves the 99 in order to go after the one. That's your heart. And I pray, Lord God, if there's anybody connected to our community who's had the faintest idea of thinking, no, I could pull this off, just me and Jesus, I pray, Lord God, that you rescue that person from that way of thinking. And Lord, I pray that you strengthen the bonds of this community. Build bridges, not only between us and you, but build bridges even between us and one another. May we see something that only you can get the credit for. Jesus, you said in John 13, by this shall all know that you're my disciples, by your love one toward another. Holy Spirit, we're asking you right now, do the impossible and work in ways that none of us probably can even conceive. We thank you. We bless you. We give you all the glory. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.